My grandfather, Leland Nicholson, Leland Ross Nicholson, he's headed uh, to Northwestern University in Chicago on a football scholarship. When his plans got interrupted, when the Japanese military attacked Pearl Harbor. So, like a lot of young men at that time, he, as a patriot, according to his words, he joined the Marine Corps. And while he's in the Marines, he was part of the first crew of radio detection and ranging technicians. Radio detection and ranging technicians, also known as, anyone know? Radar. Uh, So he was one of the first, when radar was developed, to go into enemy territory and um, find a tower and set up radar. That was his job, is to go into enemy territory and set up radar. One of uh, the places that he did that was in Iwo Jima. He and two other Marines were one of the first sets of U.S. military to land in, in, in Iwo Jima. And so one of my favorite stories from my grandfather, he passed away in 2015, but one of my favorite stories he would tell, and, and as many World War II vets or any uh, vet, uh, you always kind of had to pull this out of him because of some of the trauma associated with war. But I knew this one was good enough to keep asking him so I wouldn't forget. He landed in Iwo Jima with two of his friends, and their job was to set up a radar a radar in a tower. So they landed, they went, they found a tower, and they set up radar in this abandoned tower. And they radioed for instructions to their superiors on what to do while they waited. The plan was for them to kind of be in there and to get out as quickly as possible. However, What they couldn't see, or what they didn't know, was what their commanders knew, is that there were enemies all around them all of a sudden. So their instructions were, that they received via walkie-talkie, their instructions were to sit there and to wait. And so what seemed like a long time, which is really only three days, but when enemies are surrounding you, as he said, it seemed like forever, he sat there and he waited uh, they had stories of enemies being all around him, um, but he couldn't see them. Sometimes he could hear them. One occasion, one even walked right up into their tower. His only lifeline of knowing what to do was via the walkie-talkie, in which he could talk to his commanders. And their instructions were to stay in enemy territory And then eventually, on the third day, they were told to leave and to be alert as they left. Praise God, they were able to get out, and here I am today. In wartime, communication with your commander is vital. The commander is able to see the bigger picture and to know what's going on. When the soldier is just told to do the task... And to trust the commander's directions. The commander knows more about the enemy than the soldier does. The superiors, the officers have studied the enemy. Knows how the enemy moves. Know what else the enemy is doing. The soldier is there to complete the task. And is dependent, in order for success, is dependent on hearing from the commander. As we've been looking in Ephesians, we see that God is teaching us about spiritual warfare. The Apostle Paul is closing his letter in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 20. He's teaching at least three aspects of Christian's warfare. And this is just a bit of a summary of where we are now. We usually, in one section of verses 10 to 20, it would be totally fine to preach that just in one sermon. Uh, But because we actually don't talk about Satan very often, and I think that's one of his schemes, we want to spend a little bit more time on looking at 10 to 20. So here's basically what he's teaching in verses 10 to 20. One, there's a very real spiritual battle. Our enemy is not against flesh and blood, 
blood, but against unseen evil principalities. Secondly, their first weapon against this warfare is the gospel itself or the full armor of God. And he goes through various aspects of the gospel and encourages Christians to put on the armor of God. Which I think is a way of saying put on Christ as he does elsewhere in Ephesians. And thirdly, as we see today in 18 to 20, our second weapon against the enemy's tactics is prayer itself. It's prayer itself. And so prayer is, is in a sense, our battle cry, our, our call for help to God when the enemy is all around us. So we're going to go ahead and read verses 18 to 20. Let me start in verse 17 of Ephesians chapter 6. Look there, if you will, with me. And if you don't have a Bible, we have pew Bibles provided for you there. And I know I should know the page number by now, but I honestly don't. I'm going to guess it's 967. 979. Page 979, Ephesians chapter 6. Let's start in verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Heavenly Father, we pray that we would be a praying people. We pray that our church would be, realize our dependency upon you, our own weakness and your own strength, which you provide for us. And Jesus Christ is our confidence. You have gifted us with the Holy Spirit. We have been sealed in him. And we pray that you would make us bold prayer warriors as we battle the schemes of the devil. For your glory we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Church, in this very real spiritual battle with the devil, we do have the weapon of the gospel. The gospel we are saved with and the gospel that sustains our faith. In a sense, we preach the gospel to ourselves. And secondly, we have prayer. Prayer will help you stand against the schemes of the devil as Paul is, getting the, is, is desiring the church at Ephesus to do. And then the apostle gives us different categories of people to, to pray for here. And I'm going to go through four categories of people to pray for in wartime. And I'll go ahead and, get to, and give them to you up front. We'll pray for ourselves. In wartime, we pray for our church. In wartime, we pray for all saints, all Christians. And in wartime, we pray for new saints, that God would make new saints. The kind of theme that I want you at least to walk away with is that prayer is an effective weapon that helps us stand against the devil's schemes. Prayer is an effective weapon which helps us stand against the devil's schemes. Let's let's look at the first point there. In wartime... Pray for yourself. Look at verse 18 there. Uh, Your Bible, our ESV, uh, this is kind of a tricky passage in the original language. So you look at the ESV, the CSB, the NAS, NIV. They kind of have all slightly different ways of interpreting this. But look at verse 18 here. He says, with all prayer and supplication. A little further down. With all prayer and supplication. ESV has that second after praying at all times in the spirit. But I think it's more helpful for our purposes and uh, more literal translation to say with all prayer and supplication. So here the apostle is saying with all types of prayer, all types of desires we are to prepare for this war. Then he says at all times. I think what he's saying here is in all seasons of life, we should be a praying people. This doesn't mean that it's... A, all you should do is pray all the time and never do anything else. Um, I remember being a new Christian, reading verses like this and, and wondering, well, how does that work? I'm like, do I just kind of, in a sense, am I always just like subtly praying 
Like I'm talking to Aaron here, and as I'm talking to Aaron, I'm, I'm praying at the same time. I mean, there can be a bit of that, like a spirit of prayer, but that's not really what this is getting at. I think it's getting at all seasons. Imagine if you were at work and you were just praying, your boss opens the door, he said, what are you doing? Oh, I'm praying. The boss comes back, he's like, why aren't you working? Well, the Bible says I should be praying. That just doesn't flow, right? We have other commands of scripture to, to teach, to admonish, to encourage, and, and that's different than praying. So what he's saying here is in all kinds of times, in all seasons, we should be praying. And in all different types of circumstances. You see, the devil will try to exploit your situation, your season of life. And he will use any kind of season as a way to get you to be discouraged and not to stand against his schemes. So just think about the last time you, maybe you're in a joyful season of life right now. Or think about the last time you were in a very happy season. One of the devil's schemes there is that you might not give thanks to God for your circumstances. Or that you might think you are the one who concocted your circumstances and now you don't need God. Or he might silently tempt you to grow numb to the fact that you're in a spiritual battle. So in happy seasons, Christian pray. What about in seasons of heavy, relentless temptation? Maybe you're tempted to just set up boundaries or to merely escape temptation by adding something else, maybe less evil. Friends, in seasons of heavy, relentless temptation, the devil will tempt you not to pray and to be self-sufficient. But in those seasons, pray. What about in seasons of melancholy or depression? The devil will tempt you to say, God doesn't really love you. Why would he put you in this situation if he did? Friends, in those seasons, pray, just as we sang, when trials come, no longer fear, for in the pain our God draws near. In seasons of anxiousness, when your heart starts beating and you're worried about what might happen or you have no idea why you're worried, friends, pray. In seasons of frustration, where you feel like you keep getting nowhere, in those seasons, pray. The devil will love to exploit any kind of situation that you're in. And then he says here in, after that, pray at all times in the spirit. So just by uh, deduction, there's a way to pray, in a sense, not in the spirit. Otherwise, he wouldn't write that there. So pray in, in the spirit. Well, how do you know that you're praying in the spirit and your prayer is not just some fleshly desire? What guide do we have to help us pray in all seasons of life? How can we be certain our prayers are spiritual? Well, it's by wielding the sword of God, which is the word of God, the Bible, the scriptures. Friends, if we pray according to God's word, then we can trust that our prayers are spiritual prayers, not self-centered, self-focused prayers. And we have a whole book of the Bible called the Book of Psalms, which are 150 prayers to God. You know that? The Psalms are prayers or songs that Christians have used. And even before Christ came to the earth, that Jewish people and those who follow the faith of the Old, of the Old Testament scriptures, they've used as prayers to God. In the Psalms, you will basically see that these are written for those who suffer, those who can find victory in God, and those who take hope in God. The Psalms are pointing to God's anointed king, the Messiah. Is that not what Jesus has done? Did he not go before us in suffering? Has he not won the victory in his resurrection and ascension? Do we not find shelter from the wrath of God? And from the schemes of the devil in Jesus Christ. In the book of Psalms, friends, you will find hope and joy. And you will find a companion in God, the Holy Spirit. I remember, uh, uh, as many of you know, my sister was killed in a car wreck when I was 17. She was nine. And uh, uh, it was a very lonely time. My, my folks weren't Christians i just become a believer a year and a half prior to that. By the grace of God, 
the man who preached the word to me when I became a Christian at the age of 16, um, he just really highlighted the normalcy of Christians to read the scriptures. And so it was just a habit of mine to read God's word. I just was taught that's what Christians do. And uh, I was very lonely in the months after her death. Uh, I was sinking into uh, a pretty low, depressed place, but I kept reading the Word of God. And I remember just crying out to God, saying, Lord, where are you? Lord, how could you let this happen? Lord, I see all my friends using their senior year, partying up. Here I am all alone in my room by myself yet again. And I remember just opening up God's word. I don't know how many times I've done this, crying out for help. And I remember coming to Psalm 63. I remember exactly where I was. I remember reading Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I said, Lord, that's how I feel, God. I feel dried up. I feel all alone, like I'm in a desert. And I feel like you're withholding your presence from me. I'm not tasting the joy of my salvation. And the next part goes, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and glory. And because your loving kindness is better better than life, my lips will glorify you. And God, in his wise fatherly care, had just been causing me to trust him, to wait upon him. And then his loving fatherly care consumed me. And I broke down. And though I was suffering Though I was in grief, I rejoiced again in the God of my salvation. It wasn't anyone's helpful counsel necessarily. It wasn't a list of how to grieve. It was just his presence that came and surrounded me. Friends, you are going to be tempted. The devil will tempt you to doubt God's love and care for you through trials. The way we can pray at all times in the spirit is by opening up God's word and praying God's word for ourselves. And secondly, in wartime, pray for your church. In wartime, pray for your church. Now, I could have just made that combined with the first point, right? Um, You shouldn't not pray for it. These commands are given in a second person plural, as we talked about a couple weeks ago. That this is written to the church at Ephesus. And in, a, in God's divine wisdom, this is written to the church at Warnell Road. So we definitely pray for ourselves. But we cannot understand this text if we don't realize that this is also, and I'd say mainly saying pray as a church. This is a letter to a church body read corporately. And the exhortations, the encouragements, the imperatives are all meant for the whole church. When you see a command or participle in Ephesians and and really in any of the epistles to churches, they're mostly corporate. They're meant for the whole church. And there's a specific application. And we'll get to this. Yes, we pray for all Christians. We pray for family members. We pray that God's word would go forth. Well, yes, we pray for ourselves, but there's a particular subset of people that even before Christians not in this church, even before it seems the nations, we have to make sure we're praying for our own church. So turn over a few pages to Galatians chapter 6. Look at verse 10 there. Galatians is the book right before Ephesians. Galatians 6 verse 10 says, let us do good to everyone. Everyone. Love your neighbor yourself. Who's your neighbor? Everyone. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. Here Paul is writing to a bunch of different churches throughout the Galatian region, which is in modern day Turkey, in the middle section of Turkey. A bunch of churches. And he's saying, especially pray for those of the household of faith. Or James 5.16 says, confess your sins to one another 
and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. James is saying that praying for one another should be normal in the church. So Christians in wartime, pray for your church. That's why uh, our church, we have these directories. Andrew talked about it. Um, I guess it was last week. Uh, these are our membership directories, but you can also just call them your prayer directories. Uh, many of us here at the church, we stick them in our Bible. We pray for them. I have this little helpful sticky tab right here. And so it looks like tomorrow I'll be praying for John Massey and this whole column. John Massey, Cynthia McCorkendale, Hudson and Rachel McManus, Brett and Jessica Myring, and Madison Mosier. And the next day I'll move the tab and I'll start down starting with Quinn and going all the way down. Uh, friends, sometimes it feels daunting to add more to your plate. Let me just tell you, if you read the scriptures, um, add this to part of your, your devotional. Uh, this can take two minutes. Did, Philip really modeled it well for us this morning. He prayed, starting with Eli, he prayed for the Atkins and Bill and David. And he just prayed short, simple pray, prayers for them. Pray for your church. Um, I'm so, so encouraged. One thing I've seen here over the years, I've been here about four and a half years, almost five years now, is there are little pockets of prayer after service. And, and for those of you that have been here more than a couple of years, I don't know if you've noticed this change as well, that people are more normally praying for each other right after service. That's a sign of health. Praise God. It's a sign of our need. So when you ask someone how their week is and they tell you something in specific need, just pray for them right there. Have that little, that Stephen Curtis Chapman song from the 1990s. Anyone? Let us pray. Let us pray everywhere and every way. Every moment of the day is the right time. Have that in your head. A little helpful, helpful tune. Let me just pray right now. And one thing, one, we'll just be honest, guys. Sometimes the reason I pray for you right then and there is that I don't want to be a liar. Meaning I don't want to say I'll pray for you and then kind of forget later on. Um, so let's all not be liars. And just go ahead and pray for each other right then and there. Not that you all have the same uh, forgetful uh, mind that I do. Um, when you visit someone in their home, make it a normal thing to pray, maybe before they leave or when you arrive. At your meal times, I wonder uh, if you're like me at all, sometimes your, our mealtime prayers become kind of rote. Um, one thing that our family has been doing for the last couple of years is we pray for one unreached people group um, and we pray for one member or one family of the church just to help us so that our prayers aren't dear lord thank you for this food we love you amen i mean that's just kind of how we all just kind of drift there don't we when it comes to our prayers and then pray before you get in bed pray for your bedtime uh, parents uh, i know what it's like to get through a day and then your kids are finally in the bed and and you just want a little bit of time by yourself right i get that temptation and that's great. I think that helps recharge you. Uh, but sometimes we can just put our kids down and we can just go. Let me encourage you to, to find a, a psalm or, or something from the scriptures and just pray that with your kids. So, so one thing I do in the boys' room is, is just say, uh, and, and I'm dogged tired, guys. I'm not, this is not looking like the most spiritual Holy Spirit-filled moment. This is like me tired, wanting to even just go watch TV by myself, but like knowing that God works despite how I feel. God, be gracious to us and bless us and cause your face to shine upon us, that your way may be known on the earth, your saving purposes to all nations. Amen. Love you guys. Good night. You know, that's what it can look like. We don't have to make this big insurmountable mountain of praying. Church, if you think that someone doesn't need prayer in this church, I just don't think you know them well enough. There's not one saint of the 130 Warnell Road Baptist Church members that doesn't need prayer. We all need prayer. But let's not be a church that that marginalizes or maybe penalizes people for their open and honest sharing hearts. I, don't, I wonder how many of you have been maybe even burned by sharing something that you need prayer for. And someone, maybe they have good intentions or maybe not, kind of uses that and even weaponizes that against you. If you've, had, if you've experienced that, 
I hope that's a rare thing. And I'm sorry that you've experienced that. Let me encourage you to keep being open and honest about your, the needs of your heart. And the truth is that if we all had a rolling scroll of our minds and hearts from this past week, we would all be somewhat embarrassed. But we'd all realize that, yes, total depravity has affected us all. That we have evil thoughts, oftentimes wicked intentions. But I do think when we realize the doctrine of total depravity has touched us all, and that we are all saved by grace, and we are all, in a sense, if we realized just who we were, we would say with Paul that we are the chief of sinners, we'd all be less protective we'd all be a lot more willing to open up about the things that we're really ashamed about, embarrassed of. So just think right now, what, what's something that maybe you've not uttered to many people at all? That you're really tired of believing, maybe you're tired of feeling, or a temptation that you're just too embarrassed to share with someone. What would Satan like you to do with that? Do you think Satan wants you to open up and tell a bunch of other Christians so that they could pray to the God of heaven for you? Certainly not. He wants you to remain quiet, to conceal it. If it's sin, to stay in the dark and not bring it to the light. He wants you to tell you. He wants to persuade you that you'll be treated ill if you bring this up. That it won't be effective, that you can... Fight this on your own. But church, remember, this is a plural command. With all prayer and supplication at all times in the spirit. As you all pray for each other, warn them about this church. So the great assumption here is that Christians pray for each other. And especially Christians in the local church. It's one of Satan's schemes to deceive you into thinking that you're more of a sinner than others are. Or that you're more in need of God's grace than others are. Friends, we are all in need of God's grace. We all stand, we all desire to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. And one way can, we can do this is by confessing our sins to one another. By sharing our hearts. The devil would rejoice if we all try to act prim and proper. Like we are fine. Like we have all of our things together. Don't believe that lie. Richard Sibbs the Puritan writing in the 17th century says in his book called The Bruised Reed, he says, The church of Christ is a common hospital wherein all are in some measure sick of some spiritual disease or other. That we should all have ground of exercising mutually the spirit of wisdom and meekness. The church of Christ is a common hospital. Friends, we're all sick to some degree. And we all need help. And we all go through varying seasons of needing more help than others. Oh, Lord, make us a church, oh God, where we are okay with confessing sin to one another. Don't fall into that old trick of the devil that you don't need help or that the help you need is just between you and God and no one else can let in. That's not what scripture teaches. We all need his healing touch, the healing touch of Christ. We're all in this fight against our accuser and those that think they are well and in, not in need of help of other Christians are in the snare laid by the devil. We need to know that God has seasons where we're all in the fiery furnace that God is putting us through temptation and hardships so that he might raise the dross and purify us as pure gold. I pray that we have grace as we look at one another, as we get to know each other better, to know that we all face different seasons. See, God has an end result in mind when he puts us through trials. So let's look at other Christians, at fellow brothers and sisters in this church and know that God is steadfastly working in that brother and sister just as he's steadfastly working in you. We are all his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And often the way God does that is by putting us through trial. 
So let's pray for each other in all seasons of life, through all temptations of life. I encourage you, if you are able, if you have Wednesdays free on the first and third Wednesdays, to come to our midweek gathering. Where we get to know a little bit more of the trials, uh, various trials of our church. Pray for your pastors. What an obvious scheme it is of the devil to try to take down pastors of churches. As I said at our membership meeting, our members meeting this past Sunday, uh, as I talked to my friends who are pastors all over the states and and some across the world, it's, it's a unique time, this air of suspicion of pastors. And maybe some of that's appropriate, not sure. I do know that a lot of good friends who are good, faithful, qualified pastors are being attacked left and right. Friends, that's not a flesh and blood battle. That's a spiritual battle. Pray for your pastors. Thirdly, in wartime, pray for all saints. This is a a bit shorter of a point, but he says there, to that end, so as you Make all prayer and supplication. Don't only pray for your church or yourself, but keep alert with all perseverance. That is, be steadfast. Don't give up. And make supplication for all the saints. Pray that God would supply the needs of all saints. You see this kind of care that churches have for other churches in the Scripture. One of my favorite little books that shows is the book of Colossians. There's a church in Colossae. There's also a church in Hierapolis. There's also a church in Laodicea. And there's a church that meets in the house of a woman named Nympha. So there's all this inter-church connection. They're all autonomous churches, but they know and they care about one another. You can look at the beginning or the end of Colossians to see how this plays out. Paul says, give my greetings in, in Colossians 4. To the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And you can even go there as, as some of you. Who, who's been to that region of the world this past summer? Drew, Kathleen, and Art, Daniel. You can even go there and you can drive, you know, 10 minutes, 20 minutes this way. You can be in Colossae. Um, and you can drive 20 minutes this way. You can be in Hierapolis. Their churches cared about each other. Friends, when our church cares about other churches, we become, as one of uh, my, uh, my friends says, less turfy. We, we start to care about what God is doing in other churches. You see, as a church, and especially as pastors, you can be tempted to only care about your own church. But God's kingdom is so much bigger than Warnell Road, praise God. And so that's why our, our church, we make it a habit, as, as Philip did this morning, praying for Bellicose. We pray often for Liberty Baptist Church, Mission Road, Summit Woods, local, other local churches. We even pray for uh, UBC Fayetteville in Fayetteville, Arkansas, Smyrna International in Izmir, Turkey, uh, Rock Evangelical Church in Ras Al United Arab Emirates, and others. Pray for other local established churches. That really will help us realize that God is doing a work all across the globe. Even if we don't, sometimes if we don't see what he's doing, it helps us to be a part of what he is doing. Uh, Christian, I, I, I wonder if you are quick to criticize other churches, other pastors, other denominations that are faithful, Bible-believing denominations. In some ways, it helps you, criticize might be a, a harsh word here, but here's my encouragement. In your critiques and in your conversations of other churches or other pastors, if you're doing that to understand your own mind, your own set, your own beliefs, then I think that's totally fine. But maybe make it a habit of praying for that church after you've talked about it. Certainly don't be involved in gossip or slander, but make it a habit of as you talk about other denominations or other churches and maybe why you don't go to this or that church. But pray for that pastor. Pray for that congregation. A few resources that have helped me and, and others that I know when it comes to praying. One is a really helpful book by uh, Paul Miller called A Praying Life. Has anyone read that book? 
a few of us, A Praying Life by Paul Miller. In there, in the back, you can see he has really helpful uh, ways to organize your prayer list. So, so I make it a habit of um, praying for other pastors that are, I know, of longtime friends that I know, um, and obviously of this church here. And I got that from Paul Miller's book. You can also read this helpful book by the Puritans called The Valley of Vision. I'm guessing many of us in this church have that, make that a part, part of your devotions. If you want to see the power of prayer, one helpful book put out by the Banner of Truth is called The New York City Revival of 1857. Anyone read that by chance? New York City Revival of 1857. There you can just see a bunch of brothers and sisters praying for revival. And God answered their prayers and broke, a revival broke out in New York City in 1857. But lastly, we see that in wartime, we are to pray for new saints. Pray for new saints. Look at verse 19. Pray also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Now, I'm well aware that Paul is not saying pray for new saints here. He's saying what? Pray for me so that I may make it clear so that there might be new saints. This passage starts out with you and your church. It goes to all Christians and churches. And then it, the exhortation to pray that God would save others, that there might be new Christians. That those held captive in enemy territory might be one for the cause of Christ. He says, pray for me. Friends, we're in good company. If we ask others to pray for us, here is the mighty apostle Paul saying, pray for me. See, prayer is a sign of weakness, but it's an opportunity to show the strength of God through our weakness. And even the apostle Paul, one of the boldest people to ever walk this earth, what does he pray for? Pray that I be bold. Did you catch that? There is no one that does not need this kind of prayer. Lord, pray that I would be bold. Pray for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. The question is, well, why do you need boldness, Paul, if you're going to proclaim the gospel? Well, just think about your own situation. Who do you want to share the gospel with? Which neighbor, family member, coworker, who do you have in your mind right now? Okay? What prevents you from sharing the gospel with them? You have a temptation to what? To be embarrassed of the gospel. You have a temptation to be ashamed of the gospel. How do I know that? Well, Paul has that temptation as well. You can look at Romans chapter 1, one of the more famous passages, where he says in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So Paul, in, in a way, is saying that the gospel has, there's no reason to be embarrassed or to be ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it's powerful. And this news, once given, once proclaimed to someone, it has the power to save them from eternal damnation and hell forever. And it's just Paul saying, what in the world? Why would we be embarrassed by that? But we also see in Ephesians 6 that Paul wants, want, he, what does he want? Pray that I would be bold, that I wouldn't be cowardly. Doesn't make any sense, does it? We love the gospel of Christ. We know what it saved us from and what it saved us to. We know that we have a heavenly father who loves us endlessly and completely. We know just how much Jesus loves us because he gave his life for us. And yet... We all need to pray that we would be bold to proclaim this message. 
Because there's a temptation that we would be embarrassed by it. Because the world does really look at us, Christian. Know this. The world really does look at us as fools. That what we preach is folly. But to God, it is, but, but, but to those who are saved, it is the power of God. And he wants them to pray for what? The mystery of the gospel. That the mystery of the gospel might be proclaimed. So look at chapter 3, verse 6 to remind ourselves what this mystery is. And also to help you inform your prayers as you pray for those who go out and proclaim the gospel. Look at chapter 3, verse 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles, that is those who are not Jewish, are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So, verse 7, of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, I am the very least of all the saints. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Friends, there's so much here. But we pray for evangelists. We pray for our own evangelism. We pray for those going into territory where there's very few or no churches at all. And we pray that they would make it clear what the gospel is. The mystery of the gospel. That God is able to take people from different ethnicities, bring them together, and all worship at the feet of the crucified King Jesus. Let this shape your prayers as you pray for those and as you pray for yourself as you go out and proclaim the gospel. You see, Jesus is the one who is now reigning over the heavenly places. If you're not a Christian, you're you're gathered with us. We're so thankful that you decided to come and spend a portion of your Sunday morning with us. That we are a church that believes the scriptures. And just as it says there in Ephesians chapter 3. That Jesus is the one who reigns in the heavenly places. But before Jesus reigned. Before he ascended to on high. He suffered. And since he went. He's the highest of highs. But he's also descended into the lowest of lows. Flip over to Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9. You get a a more concise explanation of what this gospel is. Chapter 2, verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. So if you're not a believer here, and you're thinking that you're just too marred with sin to come and to join these Christians. Let me encourage you, we're all broken sinners, all in need of God's grace. And it is only by God's grace that we have been saved. No merit, no effort of our own. And so let me invite you to come. See Jesus Christ crucified there, bloody on the tree, Inviting you to come, to bow down before him, and to join all the saints of Warnell Road, all the saints throughout the world and throughout the ages, to come, bow before him, see his love for you, and trust in him because he rose from the dead three days later. And friend, if you do this, you will experience his presence. For that's one of his promises, that he will never leave you nor forsake you, that he will be with you through the end of the age. And that's a testimony of every Christian here. That sometimes we come to Christ, he never leaves us. Even in hard seasons of frustration, of temptation, even of sin, we experience the blessing presence of our Savior. Paul's goal here is one of proclamation, of announcing the good news to captives, that they might be set free by the mystery of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit to use it. You see the paradox here, though? 
It's this great paradox. He says, I am an ambassador, what? In chains. An ambassador. I'm an official representative of King Jesus to go out. And I'm I'm an ambassador in prison, in chains. Paul wrote this letter and a few others while he was in jail. Even so, pray that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. See, Paul knew something so great. He knew God's power to work even in unlikely circumstances. He also knew that God worked through the prayers of saints. And he also knew that you cannot be saved from God's wrath and anger towards sin unless you respond positively to the gospel. See, Paul also knew, as Romans 10 says, that you cannot respond positively to the gospel unless you hear the gospel. He also knew that you can't hear the gospel unless someone goes and proclaims the gospel to you. And you also can't go unless someone sends you. Every true evangelical church knows this, believes this, is about this. It's not some subset of the church just over there. Like we have this ministry, this ministry, this ministry, this ministry. No, everything we do has this in mind. So our very health, our very unity touches on the gospel going out to the nations. The way we pray for each other, the way we reprove each other, encourage each other, sit with each other. It all has the end mind of the glory of God in all nations. So church, pray for this kingdom to expand into enemy territory. It's part of all of our roles as members of this church. Prayer is, as John Piper says, a wartime gift. It's God's strategy for victory in the battle. We have this gift from God to be used as the mission of God goes forward. That the mystery of the gospel might be proclaimed to those who are held captive by Satan's schemes. Thank God that you are no longer held captive by Satan's schemes. That you see that you cannot merit your salvation. And now join in the battle. Join in this fight and proclaim, to, to proclaim the gospel to those that are held captive. And one way you can do that is by praying for those like the Apostle Paul who go out. So church, get to know these young college students who are going to go out this summer to South Asia, to Central Asia, to the Middle East. And pray for them. Be a part of what they're doing. Pray for Nick and Hannah as they prepare to go out into South Asia in just a couple months. I wonder if you measure someone's faithfulness by kind of their theological acuteness. There's certainly some ground to do that. But sometimes I think we'll all get to heaven. We'll look around and we'll be most impressed by the saints who were the grandmas and grandpas who sat in their rockers and just prayed and prayed and prayed all day. Let's be careful what we are impressed by. And let's see what God values here. Values here That is, saints that are praying, that are dependent on him so that, as, chap- as verse 10 says of chapter 6, that we might be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. That in our weaknesses, God's strength might be shown. The church, as we conclude here, we're reminded that prayer is an effective weapon against the schemes of the devil. Be encouraged, Christian, that you will rest from this battle. You will not always be tempted. You will not always need to offer prayers of, Lord, help me. You will not always need to be pacing in your living room in the middle of the night asking God to give you strength. You will not always need to be asking God, give me grace. You will not always need to be saying, Lord, I need your help. You will not always need to learn how to wait upon the Lord. One day there will be no more affliction, no more suffering, and no more battling. No more health problems. No more weariness. On that day when we are in the presence of the Lord Jesus, when he comes back or when we die and we meet him in the air, 
Or when we die and we meet and we'll be in, in, with him in his presence. We'll be like the, the hymn writer in the 1800s who wrote the, the hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. One of the last verses says this, Blessed Savior, thou hast promised, thou wilt all our burdens bear. May we ever, Lord, be bringing all to thee in earnest prayer. That's for this life. Then he says, soon in glory bright, unclouded there will be no need for prayer. Rapture, praise, and endless worship will be our sweet portion there. We'll pray in heaven, but there'll be prayers of praise and worship as we stand before our great Redeemer. Prayer is an effective weapon against the schemes of the devil. Until that day, the Lord calls us home. Let us be a people, a church that continues to utilize this weapon for God's purposes. Let's pray now. Spend some moment in silent reflection. I'll close us in prayer. Holy Spirit, we thank you that when we don't know what to pray, you give us words to pray. Holy Spirit, we praise you that you illuminate God's word for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are seated at the right hand of God, that your prayers are effective, for, that, that you intercede for us, that the Father hears our prayers because we have been saved by your blood. And Heavenly Father, we praise you as our God who has loved us from before the foundations of this world. Triune God, we praise you that you are hearing God and that our pleas to you are effective because you are a good God who longs to bless his children. Give us that confidence, we pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.